Well, I'd invite you to take a seat. Tab and the band will be back uh, a little bit later. I'd love to welcome you along to Beyond Church tonight. As Emma said, uh, we are wrapping up a four-part series that uh, we've been doing called I Can't Believe in a God Who. But before we do, I just want to let you know two really quick things before we, we jump into it. Next week, we are launching a brand new series called Lighthouse. Uh, it's just a quick two-part series. And if you've ever been a follower of Jesus, and in your life you thought, being a follower of Jesus is all about how much I know, it's all about information, it's all about sitting there reading my Bible, maybe you have missed what Jesus actually calls us to do when, it's, when He calls us to be a follower of Jesus. And maybe for you, uh, if you haven't had much church background, maybe the reason that you push back against church is not so much because of Jesus, but maybe it's because of His followers. And we're going to talk about that for two weeks. Uh, the other thing is that we want to bring up is that uh, we, uh, in one month's time, we are having the second Go Beyond for the year. And if you have no idea what Go Beyond is, uh, we just really believe that the church is not a building, that the church is the people. And so we actually want to actually go beyond the walls of the physical building and actually love our community. We actually want, if Beyond was never to exist, we want the community to look in and say something's missing because that church made an impact. We don't necessarily believe what they believe, but man, that church made an impact. And so one of the practical ways that we can show our community that we are for them is just to go out. Uh, we kind of go out on one sad- Saturday morning and we just kind of backyard blitz it. So if you have that Saturday available, it'll be on our Facebook page, our Instagram page. You can sign up online. But alternatively, if you just know someone who maybe need, uh, in need of a little extra love, a little extra hand around the house. Maybe they need their, uh, they're, they're just so busy with work. Maybe they're a single mum or a single dad or, or maybe they're a little bit old and they can't move some things around. If they just need some, a hand, please let us know. You can fill that uh, form out online as well. We would love to go and uh, care on them a little bit. But uh, like I said, we're wrapping up this series tonight and the series is called I Can't Believe in a God Who. And the reason that this series has been so much fun and we've had such a, a blast putting it together is because you helped us put it together. A couple of months ago uh, on our socials, uh, if you're just joining us now, you may not know, but we said, hey, we want you to fill in the blank. So we asked the question, we said, I can't believe in a God who, and we ask you to fill in the blank. And so in part one, that kind of set the scene for the entire series, and we said that maybe the gods that you struggled to believe in never existed to begin with. Then in part two, we addressed the question that uh, I can't believe in a God who allows bad things to happen to good people. And then last week, we talked about, I can't believe in a God who seems so distant. And if that or anything kind of jumps out at you, or maybe you think, hey, I've got a friend who always asks that question, I'd I'd love to get them to listen to it, you can jump online to our SoundCloud, and you can listen to those messages again, and you can listen to this message again uh, later during the week. But tonight, as we wrap this series up, we are going to be talking about what is at the heart of the Christian faith. Uh, If you don't really know much about church, you may not know that the Bible is not just one book, but the Bible is actually a collection of 66 books written by 40 different authors that was compiled over a couple of millennia. And the reason that we're talking about this thing, that it's such a big deal, is because all of the Old Testament, which is kind of the first part of of the Bible, points towards this one event. All of the authors talk and point towards this fact that this one event is going to occur. And then in the second part, which is kind of the New Testament, the, the majority of it is written by a guy who used to kill Christians for a living until he became one. And his name was Paul. And through a lot of Paul's writings and some of the other writers, they point back to this one event that happened. And then in the, the kind of the middle, at the very start of the New Testament, there are four biographies. And they're written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
And these four biographies are biographies of the life of Jesus. Now, Jesus lived for about 33 years, but these biographies really just focus on a three-year window. And of that three-year window, they spend the majority of their time focusing on the events of a couple of weeks. And one event in particular that they all place a major emphasis on. In fact, uh, Paul, in one of the the letters that he wrote that now makes up uh, the New Testament part of the Bible, he writes to a church in Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece. And Paul says this about this main central event in Christianity that the Old Testament points to, the New Testament points back to, and uh, the, the biographies of Jesus talk about. Paul says, if this event didn't happen, your faith is useless. Paul said, if this event didn't occur, if this event isn't a reality, you may as well pack up your bags, stop being a Christian, because it's not worth it. See, the event that Paul's talking about is what verifies and validates Christianity. And, and maybe some of you are sitting here and you've, you've grown up in church, you know the whole sort of story, you're like, oh yeah, I know the event that, that you're talking about, I get it, we celebrated a few weeks ago at Easter. But then there may be some of you who... For some of you, this is your first time back to church, or you may be like, oh, I don't, I, what, what are they talking about? What, and, and so I wanted to uh, share with you uh, what Paul writes to the Corinthian church when, when he talks about this one event. And when, I'm going to share with you what this one event is. So when Paul writes them, he says this, he says, I passed on to you what was most important. In other words, there's a whole heap of stuff that I passed on to you. There's a whole heap of things that you need to know. But this is the most important thing. And I'm passing it on as something that's already been passed on to me. In other words, Paul's saying, I'm not making this up. I went and I hung out with those who knew Jesus best and they told me about it. And now I'm telling it to you. And this is what he says to the church of Corinth. It's most important. He says, if you don't get anything else, you need to understand this about following Jesus. He says, the most important thing is that Christ died for our sins. And then he goes on, he adds a little bit as well. He says, not only that he died for our sins, but he was buried and he was raised to life on the third day. Paul says what's most important, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, if you need to know that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried and that he rose again. In other words, what Paul is saying is that the event of Christianity is the empty tomb. The empty tomb is what verifies and validates the truth of Christianity. Now, a couple of weeks ago at Easter, we celebrated that, and and, and there's a whole heap of followers of Jesus all across the world that gather together uh, on Easter, but not just Easter, every weekend, and we're thankful for the empty tomb. And so many of us like point to the empty tomb. Well, Jesus is the Savior of the world because of the empty tomb. And and let me just say, if you're skeptical, the reason that we believe in Jesus is because if you can predict your own death and resurrection and then pull it off, maybe you've got something worthwhile saying. And so that's why we believe it. But I understand that for a lot of people, in fact, this was the, the reason we're wrapping the series up with this idea is because this was the most asked about idea. Because for a lot of people, it's not the empty tomb that is a barrier to faith. For a lot of people, it's what happened three days before the tomb became empty that's a barrier to faith. When Jesus was accused of crimes he didn't commit, was taken before the Roman proconsul, and the Roman proconsul said, I see nothing wrong with him, and threw him over to the Jewish authorities, and then the Jewish authorities whipped him, scourged him, beat him beyond belief, and then they marched him out to a hill just outside the city of Jerusalem, and there they nailed him to a cross and put a crown of thorns on his head, 
and they watched him die in between two criminals. For a lot of people, that's the barrier to faith. And in fact, the Like I said, this was the most asked about question. This was the way one person put it. They said, I can't believe in a God who requires the death of anyone, let alone his son, in order to forgive people. I just can't do it. The barrier to faith is not so much the empty tomb, but the fact that that Jesus would have to die in the first place. And so really the question that we're going to wrestle to the ground tonight, and what we're going to hopefully resolve, and we're going to begin a discussion around is this. Why did Jesus have to die? I mean, why did Jesus have to die in the first place? Why couldn't God just kind of snap his fingers and all of a sudden uh, we're all forgiven, everyone's happy? And it's a great question. But it's one that sometimes as followers of Jesus, we may not spend a lot of time addressing because we're so excited about the empty tomb. And Paul, uh, actually, like I said, the guy who wrote the majority of the New Testament, he addresses this question. And he addresses it in great detail in a letter that he wrote to the church in Rome. Now, the church in Rome, the reason he addresses it in such great detail, just a little bit of backstory, is the church in Rome was mainly filled up with Gentiles. And if you don't know what a Gentile is, it's anyone that isn't Jewish. Uh, The the Christianity, as we know it, was birthed out of what we like to say the chrysalis of Judaism. And so a lot of the customs and traditions, Jesus was a Jew, flowed out of that. And so Paul had to write a letter to the church in Rome because there were all these customs, all these ideas that they would talk about And people that had no understanding of the Jewish faith were like, okay, why is that important? Why do you do that? That doesn't make sense. Could you explain it to me? And so Paul writes this letter to the church in Rome and he explains in detail why Jesus had to die. And this is the way that Paul explains it to them. He says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. And, and, and I understand that, that for you, that probably doesn't answer the question. You're sitting there and you're like, okay, yep, that's my question. Christ came and he died, not sure why. But for the Gentiles that Paul was writing to, for that community at Rome, they would have gasped. They would have been like, what? Hang on a minute, can you, can, Christ came. Because the Greek word for Christ is, is this word Christos. And it was talking, that, that word carried with it this idea of God. That not the Son of God came, but God actually came. The, the, the people in Rome, they would have heard what the Jews were talking about. They would have heard that, that Jesus was referred to by this phrase, uh, by this word as Emmanuel. And that Emmanuel, you sing it in Christmas songs, in Christmas carols, it actually means God with us. And so what Paul was saying is that God stepped into history at just the right time. And God died for us. And I understand that some of you are like, hey, yeah, but why is he the son of God? Like, that, that doesn't make sense, Chris. And I, I get that. But Jesus taught, and Christianity has traditionally believed that God is three persons in one nature. God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I know that might be a little bit difficult. You're like, I'm having trouble wrapping my head around that. I, I totally get that. An analogy I like to draw is if you stand at the foot of the beach over at Sandgate, or if you go up to Malulabar, you understand that there is a vast ocean. You can comprehend it, but you can't apprehend it. You can't see it entirely with your own eyes. You can't see all the water, but you can comprehend that there is a vast ocean out there. And in the same way with the Trinity, we can't always comprehend it, but we can definitely apprehend it. 
And so God, Jesus taught this about himself, and Christianity has always taught that God is three persons in one nature, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when Jesus steps into history, it's God in human flesh stepping into history. And the Romans would have understood that, and they would have been shocked. So, hang on, God died for us. And then Paul kind of takes it to another level, and he says, hey, this is, just, this is, this is worse than you thought, but it's also better than you thought. And he goes on and he explains it. He says, now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. In other words, most of us here, if there was a person that was like 7 out of 10 on the goodness scale, eh, maybe consider letting someone else die for them, but not me. And Paul says, we, we all feel that tension, right? And th- but then he goes on and he says, though someone, notice how he says someone, he doesn't say I, he says, but someone might be, I, don't, I can't imagine what it would be like to do that myself, but someone might perhaps be willing to die for someone who is especially good. Because chances are, if you're in this room, that, that you maybe can think of maybe one or two people where you would say, you know what, if it came down to it, I would sacrifice a lot. I might even sacrifice my life for them. But what Paul is saying is, he said, you wouldn't do that for everyone though. Like, let's be real. There are only a few people that you would do that for. You definitely wouldn't go out and sacrifice your life for people that you don't even know. That takes something more. And then what he says next paints this picture of why God, or why Jesus had to die, or why Jesus chose to die. He says this, he says, but God showed his great love. God showed his great love. How do you know if someone loves you? Think about that. How do you know if someone loves you? Because there's a lot of different people in the room, and, and I'm, I'm, going to, I'm willing to bet that, that for one person, the way you say that I, I know someone loves me, it might be very different from the way the person sitting next to you says that. Some of you might be like, oh, I just love getting handwritten notes, and I love getting text messages. That's, if someone does that, oh my goodness, I just feel so loved. My friends always know to text me. If I've had a rough day, they'll write a handwritten note. They know that I experience love that way. Maybe for, for some of you, uh, it's, it's all about mums and dads love this one. It's all about acts of service. So if you do something around the house, like if you come home and the room is tidy, the house is vacuumed, you see your parents like, oh my goodness! It's just like, you could have bought them, you could have, you know, you could have bought them like a brand new car, but you cleaned, and you cleaned the house, you vacuumed up your room, and all of a sudden it's like, oh my goodness, worlds collide. Like they start, the, the slow music starts playing, like, oh my, it's just, it's just a new reality for them. That's how they experience love. Maybe for some of you, you experience love through, uh, you like it when someone holds your hand or when someone gives you a hug. You know, you're, you're kind of like, hey, hey, we're friends and stuff, but we kind, of haven't, we kind of haven't bro-hugged or we haven't like hugged for a while. Like, is there something wrong? Are you mad at me? Did I do something? You know, like, you know, or you go to hole, like your boyfriend or girlfriend's hand, they pull it away and you're like, is something, is it okay? They're just like, no, nah, I just don't do PDA. Um, too much, no, not, not too much PDA. That one you've got to be careful with in public, you know, showing affection, okay? Boyfriends, girlfriends, there's a place for that. It's not in public. Or in your bedroom, unless you're married. Uh, <laughs> then uh, maybe, maybe for some of you as well, it, it's more about the idea of prioritizing spending time. You feel loved, and, and you, you feel that people show you love, maybe just through the simple fact that they say, hey, I've locked out this night to spend time with you. I've locked out this morning to spend some time with you. 
I've blocked out this entire day, and, and we don't have, really have anything planned, but it's just time for you and me to just, just hang out. We can do whatever you want to do. And despite the fact that there are all these different ways, there's a common theme running through them, isn't there? That you and I know that ultimately promises mean nothing unless there's some proof to back it up. Ultimately, ultimately love isn't known until it's shown. You can say and use all the great words you want, but until you show your love for someone, until you demonstrate your love for someone, love isn't known. And this is what Paul is saying, God made his love known, God showed it. And then he says how he showed it. He said, by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Not only did God intervene, God didn't send his son to intervene, God personally intervened. God willingly wrote himself into your story. God intervened in your story and in, in, in humanity's story. And it wasn't for the 1% of humanity, but it was for absolutely everyone that has ever existed. God wrote himself in. So then we come back to the question, right? Why did Jesus have to die? Why? I think there's a couple of ways to answer that. One way, I think, uh, to answer that is he had to pay for my sins. And I understand that you hear that word and you're like, oh, this kind of stings a little bit. You, know, you think of like those preachers out on the street corner in Queen Street Mall or up the coast or somewhere. And, and the truth is that that word has been used and, 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 mis- and abused throughout, uh, throughout language and throughout culture. And, and a lot of people who stand at the front are the people that do it. And I understand that. But you and I know... And you've said it, that nobody's perfect. In fact, this is how you know that you're not perfect. You set standards for yourself that you don't even keep. You tell yourself that you're going to wake up earlier this week, that you're going to eat healthier this week, that you're going to save money next month, and you don't do it. You can't even keep your own standards. We can't even keep our own standards. And whatever way you choose to define that word sin, whichever way you look at it, the effect is still the same. Sin separates. Whatever way you cut it, whatever way you want to define it, sin ultimately separates. It separates you from your intentions. It separates you from the people closest to you when you let your pride or you let your ego or you let you wanting your way come to the fore. And ultimately, sin separates us from God. So why did Jesus have to die? I think one way is to pay the price for my sins to pave a way back to God. Another way you could say it is this. God loves you personally, so he intervened relationally. God stepped into history to restore the relationship, to close that gap of separation, and he did it through himself. He did it through Jesus as a perfect sacrifice. It says, hey, I know that there's separation, and I know that if I click my fingers and forgive you, that you will create separation again. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to intervene. I'm going to intervene personally so that we can have a relationship, and I'm going to offer myself as that sacrifice for you so that you know just how much I love you. You know that I don't love you when you're at your best, 
but I love you even when you're not at your best. And even when you have caused separation between us. Just, just think about that for a second, because chances are, I know that there are some of you here, and you're thinking in your head, you're like, yeah, okay, I get that, and that's true for some people, but I'm not one of those people. If God was to look out at the world, I would be one of those people that he wouldn't die for. I would be one of those people he wouldn't want to give up his life for. I want you to think about it this way. God died for you. God died for your sins just as much as he died for everyone else's sins. Because when you make it personal, that changes everything. All of a sudden, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, you were at the front of his mind. Not the perfect version of you, but just the you as you are. The you that had caused separation and you were right at the front of his mind and he still chose to hang there for you. And it wasn't enough for God just to write himself in, in, in the sky, in a cloud, saying, hey, I'm here, I love you. God said, no, I need to show them how much I love them. And maybe you're like, well, okay, that's great. God loves me. He died for my sins. But what does that change? Well, it changes everything. Because what that means is if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you have the opportunity to leave here tonight with a completely different future than what you walked in. In fact, if you walked in tonight not knowing Jesus, you have the opportunity tonight to connect relationally with the creator of the world and not a creator who is far off and distant, not a creator who only loves you when you tick the boxes and when you follow the rules, but a creator who looked down and said, they can't live up to my standard and I get that, so I'm going to intervene. You have the opportunity to connect with a God who can change your outlook on life radically. And the reason that we do all of this is because that there is a group of people here that have had their lives radically changed. There are a group of people who have experienced the fact that God intervened personally and made a way back relationally for them. Because that's why we do that. That's why we exist here. So that people can know that there is a God who cares about them and did something about it. So we have this uh, thing here at Beyond, it's called For Monday, because we believe there's no point coming to church on Sunday if it's not helpful for you, For Monday. And I really want to challenge you this week, this week's For Monday, uh, if you have been, maybe you've been coming along to Beyond for a while, uh, and maybe you've been asking questions about this, this whole Jesus thing, or maybe tonight, this is your first time here tonight, but it, suddenly you're like, I'm, I'm really intrigued, maybe there's something more to this. What my challenge for you this week is really simple. I want you to place your faith in Jesus. Maybe if you've been coming along for a while and you've been asking questions, you think, hey, maybe I think there's something to it, but maybe there's been something stopping you and there's been something preventing you and you feel like, I'm just not quite good enough. Maybe, Maybe God loves everyone else, but he just doesn't love this part of me. This is your opportunity tonight to enter into that relationship with a God who made his love known for you. You have the opportunity to change everything, to shift the future, your eternal destiny tonight. And maybe you're kind of sitting there and you go, okay, well, what do I do? That's a great question. In fact, Paul knew that there would be people who would ask that question, and Paul uh, wrote it to the church in Rome. Paul said, hey, if, if you're kind of like, what do I do? How do I do it? Paul says this, 
He says, we are made right by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. That's all it takes. Paul says, when we get to that moment when we recognize and we realize that our faith and our hope is not in us, but it's in our Savior that died for us, that changes everything. And when you take your, the expectations of yourself to be perfect and put it on to Jesus, that's what placing your faith in God looks like. And I know no matter how many times I can say it, that there's always one person sitting there who goes, yeah, but what about me? You don't know what I've done. You don't know how far, how far across the line I've got. If, if God heard my story, God would not want to have anything to do with me. And Paul knew this too. And this is what Paul wrote to that church in Rome. He said, and this is true for everyone, no matter who we are. No matter who you are, no matter what your story, God intervened for you. God made his love known and he showed it for you so that whoever you are, whatever your story, if you place your faith in Jesus, you can enter into a relationship with a personal God. I want to pray uh, for us all right now. Uh, but before I do, I want to give, if this uh, is your, uh, maybe tonight you're like, yeah, I want to place my faith in Jesus. I just want to pray uh, an element of this prayer and, and you can pray it, uh, pray it back to God. Uh, you don't have to pray it out loud. You can just say it to yourself. Uh, nothing uh, weird there. But this is essentially, this prayer is, does not what make, is not what makes you a Christian. All it is, is a kind of an expression of what's already happened uh, inside. So uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just want to uh, pray tonight, particularly for anyone who's maybe thinking uh, or who wants to place their faith in you. And Lord, uh, if that's one of you tonight, just, you can just say back to yourself, Heavenly Father, I recognize that it's not about how good I am, but it's about how good my Savior is. And so tonight, I place my faith in Jesus. I place my faith in His death for my sins and His resurrection for my sins. Amen. Lord, I just want to pray as well for all of us here tonight. There are so, it's so often that we can get caught up in doing church that we actually forget that you intervene for us as well. Sometimes we can forget that we need a saviour. No matter how long we've been following you for, we always need a saviour. But Lord, that, that when we enter into a relationship with you, that we're not zapped up to heaven, Lord, but we're still here. And that means that you have a purpose for us here. And so, Lord, I pray that tonight, that as we leave this place, that we would show in the way we interact with people around our dinner table, in our universities, in our schools, in our workplaces, that we would show to them a God that loves them personally and a God that intervened relationally. Lord, that we wouldn't be known as a group of people that follow rules, but Lord, at the center of our faith, we would show that there is a Savior who died on a cross for them and for us. And that the prerequisite of being a follower of Jesus is not being perfect, but recognizing that we're in need of a Savior. And so, Lord, may we be a church. May we be a community of people that are known what we're for as opposed to what we're against. Lord, may, may our community know that we are for people, that we are for loving others. Lord, that we are for people getting to know a God whose grace is so abundant that it washes away everything. 
may we never shift from that. May that always be the focus of our minds. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you, um, if you prayed that prayer tonight, uh, we have a special gift for you. At the Connect desk at the back as you, uh, as you leave tonight, uh, touch base with uh, one of our crew. They'll be wearing a, a little lanyard and they've got a gift that they would love to give to you.